Will you turn to the scriptures, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, please. We read this scripture last week, and this is part two of the urgent need of repentance. The urgent need of repentance. Luke 13, we'll read the first ten verses. There were present that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. He said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, again inscribe your word on every heart and imprint it upon every mind. Father, teach us tonight. Enable us, Lord, even in our own personal lives, Lord, to come aright to your word and to glorify your Son. We worship you. We love you. We praise you, we exalt you, we magnify you, we adore you. There's none like you, none beside you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who has the preeminence in this house and in this ministry. So we pray, Father, that you would now shut each and every one of us in with thine own self and settle us, take away any distracting thoughts, and all opposing spirits, and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name and for his glory we do ask it. Amen. The urgent need of repentance. This is, of course, our second part of this. And we'll not do too much of how, what we, where we went last week, but last week, if you remember, we looked at how in verses 3 and verse 5, the Lord Jesus says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. The thrust of the message last week was that in a day of uh, easy listening, ear-tickling, sugar-coated preaching uh, around the world and in many, many even well-known popular pulpits, if you want, uh, there's no words like sin, sinner, repentance, None of these words like hell. There's no words that will, will really pull at the heart or even offend 
in order to bring someone into line. We looked at how the Lord Jesus Christ was not a, a, a whimsical, airy, furry preacher. And even last week, as we said, he called many, even in our chapter, hypocrites and a fox, uh, as he called Herod. And he preached of repentance or perish. And that was his words in verse 3 and 5, repent or perish, repent or perish. Now notice this, when we come to where we finished last week, we looked at how Christ was not a pussy-footed preacher. He was not a politically correct prophet. He was not a social gospel speaker. He was not a timid, trembling teacher. He was not a lily-livered leader. He spoke the truth in opposition, and he also spoke the word of God, which cannot be added to nor taken away. And he told it in truth, no matter the pulse of the people, nor the changing of the times, the offense of the sinner. Christ preached, repent or perish. I want to take my jacket off, because I think something's just stung me on my back. It's been a wasp. It's there. Nah, it's just stung me. It's a devil. Where is it? Kick him out. Yes. If I start crying, you know why now, don't you? It's not uh, full of emotion. My back's shaking. <laughs> okay, he's just stung me. He must have crawled up my jacket. Christ preached, repent or perish. Repent or perish. Notice this in verse 1 of our reading. First of all, it says, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. It's thought that, there's not a lot known about it, but it's thought that they came to Jerusalem to sacrifice from Galilee away up north. So way up north where mostly the tribe of Benjamin had settled and many had settled in at Bethany. That's why Christ would stay at Bethany around where Lazarus and Martha and Mary were. And, of course, whenever we look at the map, way at the top is Galilee. And it seems as if they're trying to pull something out of Christ. They're trying to say, why don't you rise up? Why don't you rise up because your own people of the Galileans, this man, Pilate, you know what he's done? He's mingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifices they even brought at Jerusalem. Now, surely that's a reason for you to show your kingship. Surely that's a reason for you to show your godly line and heritage. Surely that's a reason for you to, to start wiping out the Romans all around them and come, as it were, as the knight in shining armor on the great charger. But again, these men weren't looking at the way God had planned it. First was the cross. First was the payment of our sin. First was the debt to be settled. And of course then, whenever they said this, they were trying to stir up even a, a national feeling in Christ. Oh, the Galileans, they, he mingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifices on the altar. Now surely that's a double tragedy. It was something terrible on the altar and it was something terrible for your kinsfolk. The Lord Jesus, he turns around and he he gives them a sharp, as it were, rebuke. You see, the, it's not known who these people were or when it happened, but it is thought that in Acts chapter 5 and in verse 37, it speaks of a revolt against the Roman Empire in Jerusalem. 
led by a man called, listen, Judas of Galilee. Led by a man called Judas of Galilee. He was killed along with his followers. And if you read that, Gamaliel stands up after the resurrection of Christ. And they're trying to quash the preaching of the gospel and the spreading of the word of God. And and they're saying, look, listen. He says, if this not won't be of God, it'll be like Judas of Galilee. So many think it was his followers uh, that had their blood mingled with the sacrifice. And this is what it shows when you see Pilate. Sometimes when we read the gospels and some people say, oh, poor Pilate. He wanted to let Jesus go. Poor Pilate, he washed his hands and says his blood was not on his hands. Poor Pilate, surely Christ should have looked at him with, 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 with a better view and, and maybe God will accept them into heaven. And all of these things people try and work their way around to say that Pilate would be, as it were, saved at the end judgment. But brothers and sisters, it shows the wickedness of Pilate because there is also a, rec- a recorded uh, in history now, there's a recorded revolt came and many of Pilate's soldiers put on ordinary clothes and stood in amongst all the, the Jews who came to worship at Jerusalem and at Pilate's, at Pilate's nod, they pulled out their, their daggers and they knifed hundreds of them in the streets where they stood. We mustn't forget that Pilate was a ruthless man. Let not the thoughts that a man who gets a basin of water and tries to wash his hands off Christ. You cannot wash yourself of Christ. You cannot wash your sin away from rejecting Christ. And you cannot get rid of Christ. Notice this. This shows the wickedness of man's heart. For this same Pontius Pilate is the same Pontius Pilate who scourged our Lord Jesus. And sent them to the cross. In Luke 13 and verse 2, Jesus does not equate those who died as any more or any less a sinful person than those that were being addressed. Listen, Romans 3 and 23, the apostle Paul tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Brother, sister, here's something we all must remember. Uh, even though we're saved, And even when we're doing well, as it were, in God, and even whenever we're striving and making great strides out, and we see those who are weak and who are fallen, who are hurting, we must remember this, that there but for the grace of God go I. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now notice this. The Lord Jesus points and he says to them, he says to them, look at what it says, I tell you in verse 3, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He says, these people were not sinners above you. Neither were they sinners less than you. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. The point and the thrust of the Savior's comment was one of need, was one of urgency, was one of readiness. Notice, it was one of need, one of urgency, and one of readiness. He says, you must be prepared because they never knew when their time was coming. They didn't know it was going to be the day when they would stand in the, in the regions of eternity. They didn't know that they would enter the grave and the regions of the dead. He says, it's urgent that you repent or you'll perish. Repent. So Christ was telling them, you need to make sure you're right with God. You need to make sure you're saved. 
You need to make sure you're trusting in the blood. You need to make sure you know the Savior. And secondly, here we read in verse 4, he mentions some, some others. He says, Or the 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? He says, these 18 people were the Tower of Siloam is, or was, I should say, is where the, obviously the pool of Siloam is, where John chapter 9, the Lord heals the man with, the, with no orbs and tells him, uh, the blinded eyes, to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. There was a great tower. And there were poor people there, maybe with sickness and illness, waiting for an angel or whatever to stir the waters. And this tower comes crashing down. Many would look at them and say, oh, Oh, see, because you're sick, God mustn't love you. See, because you're not well, God must have something against you. See, because you're feeling the way you're feeling and your body is the way it is or your mind is the way it is, then God wants nothing to do with you, so he decides, I'm just going to destroy you and and call down the tower to fall on top of the whole 18 of you. Brothers and sisters, that is a lie from the devil. That is a lie. God loves you. He loves his people. He loves his children. And sickness, even though it may not be of God, one thing you can know is that in your sickness, he's your nurse. And he is still the healer of the body. Here, they would say, look at those 18 who died. Maybe they sinned grievously and God slew them. Now, come on, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we look... And we see men and women who have fallen into sin, who once walked with God. And we're nearly like the sons of Boanerges or the daughters of Boanerges, the sons and daughters of thunder, who look at the Samaritans who reject Christ and say, Lord, call fire down on them. The Lord says, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. God comes with his grace and with his love and with his mercy when you've fallen. And he says, just repent. Come back to me. Come back to me. He says, These 18 whom the tower of Siloam had fallen on. Notice what he says in verse 4. And slew, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. They said the master uses the death of these 18 people who died when the tower fell and slew them to make a point. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. The Lord was saying, the Lord was emphasizing again the need of urgency. The need of urgency. Repent, repent, repent. Now if you preach it in many pulpits, not all pulpits, many pulpits tonight, repent, 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 you're legalistic. Repent, 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 you're a Pharisee. Repent, repent, repent. Oh, you're just an Old Testament saint. Repent, repent. I'm not an Old Testament saint. I'm not a New Testament saint. I'm a whole Testament saint. A whole Testament, 66 books. I notice this. By the way, you can't know the New Testament unless you know the Old Testament. Because the New Testament is the revelation of the Old and the fulfillment of it. Notice this. The Lord was emphasizing the need and the urgency of repentance by saying, I tell you, nay, except ye repent, 
ye shall all likewise perish. People may have, people may give a reason why not to come to Christ. People may give a reason why not follow him. People may give a reason why they have fallen away from him. Some may say, well, maybe it was an accident or sickness, or maybe it was a natural cause of something through uh, and something that happened to them, or it was a death in the family. Maybe it was something through violence, and why did God allow this and allow that and allow the other thing to happen? And, and we try and give excuses why we shouldn't follow God, why we should give up on God, why we no longer pursue after God, and we try and give excuses when they're unsaved. Well, I would come to Christ, but my family, but I come from this point of view of religion. And we always come with excuses. And here they'd come and say, 18 died at the Tower of Siloam and it fell on them and slew them. Jesus is mentioning this urgency and he says, never you mind the 18 at Siloam. Never you mind the Galileans. He says, there is no excuse to the man and to the woman with whom the Holy Ghost is dealing with. There's no excuse because God himself is speaking. God himself is moving. God himself is drawing. God himself is illuminating and enlightening. God himself is regenerating. And he's saying, listen, if God is moving on you, there's no excuse. He says, you need to repent or perish. You need to repent or perish. You know, I know many things can dishearten us, and cause us to wonder, and cause us to question, and cause us to be hurt. And brothers and sisters, I know in my own life, I know what it's like. You know what it's like when disappointments and disillusionments come. I know that. But you know the real reason why a man and a woman fall away from Christ? Because they fell out of love with Christ. Simple as that. Or maybe they didn't love him at the start. Fall in love with him. Fall in love with him. Forget religion. Forget everything else. Just fall in love with him. The Lord Jesus emphasizing this need, this urgency, the words from the Old Testament and the Apostle Paul says, Now accept the time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He also says, Today, if ye hear his voice, harden not your heart. That's what Christ was putting over to these people. He says, I'm here. God manifest in the flesh. I'm here the one the prophet spoke of. I'm here the one who fulfilled the law. I'm here the one who came embodiment and flesh, son of God and the son of man. He says, I'm standing before you doing all manner of miracles and raising the dead and healing all manner of sickness and casting out devils. I'm here teaching you and preaching to you the kingdom of God. I'm here showing you the wonderful mysteries of God hidden in God from before the foundations of the world. I'm here as Messiah, the one who should come. He says, and you are rejecting me. Repent or perish. How 
ludicrous, how feeble and how fickle man is to think that he, on his own merit, that he, through his own ways, can ever attain to God's heaven. God gave his very heart. The very heart of God, the Son in the bosom of the Father came. God gave his very heart. God gave his word and he was clothed in flesh. And man thinks, well, I'll come another way. I'll do something else. The word says that there's only one way through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he says. Thirdly, and this one is a parable he tells us off. Look what he says. Luke 13, verse 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Now, notice this. Notice the symbolism. It's very important. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Looking for fruit in his vineyard on this fig tree, and there was no fruit. Then said he to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years, notice these three years, I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? Notice the judgment on it. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Notice, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. He was teaching this to the Jews in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now notice this. First of all, the Lord Jesus says there was a fig tree. We have, if you want to turn with me, we have either Mark 11 or Matthew 19. Let's turn to Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19. And if you just let your eye run down, please, to verse 19. Tell you what, let's go to Mark's one because I can't find that one. Sorry. Mark chapter 11, it is. I must have written the wrong reference down. Mark chapter, I think I went to Mark anyway, but I'll go. Mark 11, pardon me. This old wasp thing's trying to take me off the word, and it's annoying the life out of me. stinking the life. Okay. Mark 11, let your eye run down to verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany. Remember I mentioned Bethany before? Bethany is a house of mercy. That's what it means. And many uh, Benjaminites who had moved up north around Galilee had moved here and, and had started to live in this area. Hence Christ could live among the Benjaminites and not in the Jewry or among the Jews, if you want, or the, because they sought to kill him. That's why he could live here. He had strength here. He had a covering here even though it was very close to Jerusalem. Now, I notice this. 
And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And it came, they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and of the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because of all the people, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when the evening was come, he went out of the city. Verse 20, And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up. From the roots, and Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thy curses is withered away. The fig tree was withered away. Now notice, they're coming out of Bethany, they're coming into Jury, J-E-W-R-Y, they're coming in towards the temple, and they're seeing how the temple's been desecrated. They're seeing how there's false religion in it, false worship in it, the tradition of man in it. Babylonian Talmudism has come into it. And Christ on the way by symbolically goes through the fig tree, which are maybe between 15 to 30 foot high. And the branches are hanging down and there's no fruit. And he says, let no fruit, uh, no man eat of thee from henceforth forever. Now take note. From henceforth forever. They go in and he clears out the temple. This Jewish temple, he clears it out. The next morning they're coming and the fig tree has withered up. Judgment had come upon it. Now when we are looking at our our urgent need of repentance in our opening uh, verses, when we look at it, we see those in, in Galilee, from Galilee, we see those on the Tower of Siloam had fallen on. Then we see the next one is the picture of the fig tree. What is the fig tree. The fig tree was a symbol of Judah, the southern kingdom of the house of, of Israel. And also Judah, or the Jews as they're known, or Jewry, the leadership of uh, Judah at that time. And what Christ was saying was, I'm going to curse this tree. It's going to wither and die. And no man, notice, no man will eat fruit of it from henceforth forever. Why? Because the gospel age was coming. Because Christ was going to die. Because Christ was going to the grave and would be uh, risen again on the third day and ascend into glory, seated at the right hand of God, and come back again to set up his kingdom. And he says, from now, he says, your temple. He says, nobody will eat of it. In other words, your religion is defunct. Brothers and sisters, I find it extremely hard to understand why even Christians today are helping to people to turn back to their Jewish roots. Because Christ is more than enough. Christ has fulfilled the law. 
Christ has fulfilled the prophets. Christ has paid the debt. Christ and Christ alone, his blood is more than enough. And there is no more sacrifice for sin. Christ, when he died on the cross, said it is finished. And I, for the life of me, don't understand. People are doing the Jewish people no no good by doing this. In fact, they're leading them into a false gospel. Instead of pointing them to the Savior. To the one who says, no man will eat of this tree from henceforth and it is cursed. So when we go to Luke 13, please turn to it. Luke chapter 13. When we go to it again and the master says in verse 6. He spake up also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. The vineyard was the land of Israel. The vine was the symbol of all Israel. But the vineyard was the land of Israel. The fig tree was the Jews or the house of Judah planted in that vineyard or that land. And so the vine dresser is dressing the, uh, and he's digging and he's dunging and he's pruning and he's doing those things that's necessary. But the owner comes and says, there's no fruit on this. Like Jesus found no fruit on the tree. He says, there's no fruit on this. Cut it down. Why is it cumbering the ground? It's taken up space. Put it up by the roots. Cast it away. But the vine dresser, i.e. Christ himself, says, Lord, let it alone this year also. He says, you've come three years ministering to this fig tree. Three years you've pruned it. Three years you've worked on it. Three years you've ministered onto it. Three years you've digged it and you've dunged it. Three years. And there's nothing for one year. Not one year has it yielded fruit. He says, Lord, let it alone this one year also. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then we'll cut it down. When Christ brought this, he was in his third year of ministry on the earth. And that year, in the middle of the week, the seventh week year, Christ died on the cross. In the fig tree, there was no fruit to be out upon it because Christ would pay the debt. So there was the cursing of the fig tree, the ministering of the, to the fig tree before the, factual, the actual cursing of it. Thirdly, I want you to look at something with me briefly. If you go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. And if you just let your eye run down, to verse 32. The Lord Jesus says, Now I learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things happen, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus was talking about his second coming. He says, and before I come again, the fig tree will start to show leaves. It will start to bloom. In other words, the Jews will come back to the land. The Jews will be there. In other words, but he says, nationally speaking, now, nationally, we know there are people individually who are getting saved. But nationally speaking, he says, they are rejecting me, even at my coming. 
by rejecting me. He says, it shoots forth its leaves, but listen, there's no fruit on it still. Brothers and sisters, the fig tree is back since 1948. The Israelite state, the fig tree is back since 1948. People think there's going to be a picnic when Christ comes back. It's going to be, oh, hallelujah, happy days. No, it says when the Lord comes back, there'll be an earthquake that's going to destroy Jerusalem. The Lord says that he is bringing them back for Armageddon. They are the hook and the jaws of the world's economy. The hook and the jaws of Russia. The hook and the jaws of Iran. They're the hook there because all eyes will be focused on it. And from there will Armageddon come. That's fig tree. Jesus was saying this. He says, repent or perish. Repent, urgency, or perish. Give me a few moments and we'll wrap this up. And I just want to look at repent and perish. The word repent here is a word, metanoneo. And this is what it means. It means to change one's mind for the better. To heartily amend with abhorrence of one's past life and sin. Many people who I've met have said a prayer, who have raised a hand, who have come up and I, listen, I have nothing against that, so I'm not saying against that, but there's many, many people who claim to have got saved, yet there's no change of life. There's many who have claimed this, but there's no change of heart. There's many who have claimed this, but in talking to them, uh, there's no rejection of the worldly ways. Uh, there's no rejection of 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 all the things they used to do. In fact, there's no abhorrence of it. And brothers and sisters, funny, I was saying earlier that next week we'll have a testimony just that you can come in and get away out to see, um, go to the gospel fest and get, get your way early enough in time. And a couple of people came to the door and says, well, why don't you give your testimony? I says, because I'm afraid it's not coming back again after you get out. Why don't you give your testimony? I says, well, we'll see, but I don't really want to. I abhor my past. I abhor what I have done. I abhor my sin. I abhor what it made me. I abhor the violence and I abhor the sinning and the, the things I got up to day and daily. I abhor it. And there's people who hang on to it. And double their feet in it. Brothers and sisters, when a man and when a woman truly meet Christ at the cross, when a man and a woman truly come under the blood of the Lamb, when a man and a woman are born again of the Spirit, when a man and a woman meet Him, they're different. Different so they'll never be the same again. Never the same. No wishy-washy, worldly Christianity. Christ says, repent. Repent. Or perish. Change your mind and abhor your sin. 
Change your mind and turn to your God. Change your mind and hate your past and live for the future in him. That's what Christ is saying. And he's saying it's urgent. It's urgent. For who knows when your last breath will be in your lungs? Who knows when the last beat of your heart will be? For who knows when you'll stand before God? Solemn matter, isn't it? See, this is why many churches want us to say, you know what? Here's a thousand ways for you to have a good day. Buy my book for $150 and you'll get a CD of me singing. (laughs) That's all you're hearing. Listen, miracle olive oil soaps for sale if you want it. Seriously, it is. If you want to get miracle olive oil soap, you can go you can go and you can order it from the States and you wash it in the shower and you claim the promises of God. Miracle spring water, they're charlatans, and it's a false gospel. And God's people love to have it, so tickle my ears and tell me more. Christ says, repent or perish. And he said it in Luke 13. He mentioned Galilee, the north. He mentioned Jerusalem and Siloam. Then he said to the fig tree, the entire nation, he says, you better repent or you'll perish. I have something to tell you. The northern kingdom of Israel were scattered because it says, it's the same word for perish. They were scattered. And it means to be put away in punishment, to utterly be done away with. It means to be taken away, never to return to that place. Christ used the same words to the Jews in Judah, Judea. And he said to them, if you don't repent, you'll perish. Brothers and sisters, there's a word for Britain tonight. Britain, you're a cesspit. Repent or perish. The British government is probably one of the most corrupt governments on this earth. Repent or perish. Our nation, which, if you call it in the map, where it, it, it ruled, if you want, and you had to call it a third of the map, of global map, and is now drawn down to you. Uh, uh, the Russians says that we're not, nothing to be worried about anymore. Not to be concerned about anymore. You know why? God has taken away our sea gates. The gates of our enemies. God has taken away all our defenses, scattered the pride of the power of the holy people, if you want. He has scattered us. They were so thin on the ground now. Our very forces can't even cope anymore. Our finances have went away uh, 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 to to other countries. There's so much so now that we can't recuperate anymore, that we're now so deep in debt. You and I, if we were to share it all out between us, be thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds worth in debt. We're now, we're, we're caught in with the European Union, which means that we cannot break free unless, unless we start to trade with other partners from around the world. And they take maybe coal mines and they shut the coal mines down and they say to one country, then you're the coal owner and you're the steel worker and you're the car manufacturer and it means we all need each other and it's a form of bondage. Do you know why this has happened? Because they've thrown God out. They've thrown the word out. 
And no longer do they want to know Christ. In fact, he's a swear word. And here is the very word to our nation. Repent or perish. Repent or perish. The Reverend Leon Morris in his Tyndale Press commentary says this on repentance. Repentance is both a once and for all thing that shapes the whole subsequent course of the life and day-by-day affair that keeps putting away sin. So, in closing, I want to just, just in case there's a, you usually get a critic or two, online maybe. People say, but now you see, we don't need to repent anymore. Jesus paid the debt. Yes, he did. We don't need to repent anymore. Well, then let's look at the scriptures briefly. Matthew 3 and verse 2. The first words out of John the Baptist's mouth were repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told them to repent. Ah, they're unsaved, they'll say. Mark chapter 6 and 12. Jesus comes and says, and they, it says, and they went out and preached that men should repent after Christ had come. So they said, ah, but that's, that's pre-Calvary. That's pre-cross. Then let's look at post-Calvary, post-cross. Peter cries out at the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's after the cross. Ah, but they say, when they repent, they need no longer, for they're in the church of God. Okay. Then let's look at the church of God in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. The Lord says to the church of Ephesus, Remember, therefore, from whence ye are fallen and repent. Jesus said that, not me. Remember, therefore, from whence ye are fallen and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Unless you turn away from the way you are. Unless you turn to me, he says, Church of Jesus Christ. I remove your witness. Didn't say I remove your salvation, but... He says, I'll remove your witness. Revelation 3 and 3, the church at Sardis. Remember therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. So there's two churches in the New Testament. Christ himself has said to repent. Thirdly and lastly, Revelation 3 and 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore, he says, and repent to the church of the Laodiceans. You know what the church of Laodiceans says? It's the last church at his return. It's today's church. It's you and it's me. And Christ says to the church, repent. He says to the nation, repent. You know what's wrong? You don't hear it anymore. Preach from the pulpits. You don't hear it anymore. We need to repent. It's, uh, it's all, we're all right. Let's all stand and praise all day and worship. And sure, we'll say a wee prayer and we'll bring a wee thought and you can all go home and have a nice day. Christ says, repent. 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 The 
Church of Jesus Christ Universal. I'm just talking about Donna Cloney or myself personally. Universal has allowed in things like gay marriage, certain parts of it, certain preachers in it. They're allowing worldliness. There's more used to be sipping saints now, now to try and find a sober saint would be a good one. That's true. That's true. Just listening to someone preaching that says, Are any of you on the dumb, devil's dummy tits? And I thought, What's a devil's dummy tit? This was just the other day. He says, Get off the of cigarettes to the devil's dummy tits. Believer, put it away. The devil's dummy tit, the devil's drink, put it away. Put away sin out of your life. We're wondering why there's no blessing. Put it away. Put it away. Repent. Turn from it. That's your old life. Turn from it. In fact, abhor it and hate it. And love Christ. And love him. Love him. How can you walk with one foot in the world and one foot in Christ? How can two walk together except they be agreed? You can't walk like that. You're either in Christ or you're in the world. You're either in darkness or you're in light. Now, where are we as a church, as a person, as a Christian? Where am I? Wow. I've been challenging all day, haven't I? Where are we? But this sword comes to me first, brothers and sisters. It cuts me first. Be ye holy, saith the Lord, for I am holy. Be holy. Be holy. The church that preaches that you can be in God's kingdom without having a separated, sanctified life is a church that's preaching a false gospel. church is preaching a false gospel. You know what? I'd rather see souls in heaven than bums on seats. I'd rather see ten of your souls in heaven than a thousand bums in these seats. Because then I'll stand before him to give an account what I told you. Christ says there's an urgent need of repentance. Brothers and sisters, see if we want to see a revived nation. See if we want to see ourselves coming as the head again and not the tail. See if we want to see ourselves right before the, in the eyes of God. Then the church first needs to repent. Repent. The church needs to repent, brothers and sisters. Repent for being selfish. Repent for being lazy. Repent for being lukewarm. Repent for being sickening to Christ. Repent. This is hard, isn't it? Isn't this hard stuff? You're saying, you're offending me. I am offending you because it offends me when I'm like that before him. But I'd rather offend you and you reach the kingdom of God than nurse you in sin and end up in hell. That's what I'd rather do. 
God bless his word and may we repent. May we abhor our sin, our past life and live for Christ, for his kingdom, his crown, his covenant and for his glory. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.